All right. Good morning, Clarksburg Baptist. Man, good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Chris Campbell, and I guess the first thing I need to do is to say that all that stuff Alan said about me is true. <laughs> uh, it is really good to be with you guys here this morning. Um, uh, just in short, uh, I do Christian counseling in the area, and I'm also uh, the founder and director of Generation Freedom, uh, which is a function of Freedom in Christ Ministries out of Knoxville. So I work back and forth from Knoxville and D.C. We try to push into very marginal areas of, uh, of teen uh, culture in our, in our world today. Uh, that's where I know Alan from, is years of, of youth work. And uh, so it's really been exciting. Uh, my family and I relocated some time ago, and we've moved back into the area now. And I was thinking it's probably been about 10 years uh, since I've actually been here at Clarksburg. Baptist, but uh, a lot of good memories here. About 20 years ago, uh, my wife and I were just stepping into a uh, full-time ministry position as youth pastors, and uh, and at the time, uh, Annette Chrislip was youth pastor here, and uh, the three of us together, along with a few other youth leaders in the area, founded the Harrison County Youth Network, and uh, and we had about a 10-year run of some very heavy lifting and a lot of fun. Uh, where we were in and out of schools with assemblies, we did a lot of rallies, a lot of uh, missional type of work in the area, conferences, uh, and just all kinds of fun. And this, this church, uh, and I just, you know, above and beyond Clarksburg Baptist, uh, you guys were our biggest advocates, our biggest cheerleaders. Time and time again during that stretch, uh, this church would just step up to the plate with the resources, human resources, monetary resources. You guys would open your facility and you'd let us pack hundreds, literally, of teenagers <laughs> in here. And uh, really, really precious memories. And so it's, uh, it's very... Very, very good to be here this morning, humbled to be here this morning, and to share the Word of God with you. So, if you brought your Bibles or a device, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to look at, probably, for some of you, a very familiar passage of Scripture. So, um, when uh, your pastor, when David, and I've known David for years, uh, when he extended the invitation uh, to the platform for me to come and, fill, and uh, fill the pulpit this morning, we were just sort of talking back and forth about what might be appropriate, and so he had encouraged me to maybe come with my counselor cap on and, and maybe just talk about something that might be relevant, you know, for our own mental health, our soul's well-being. And, uh, and so the easy thing, you know, to troubleshoot is something that's very common for all of us today, I would say, and that's the idea of anxiety, Right? Anxiety and stress, number one mental health issue throughout the United States. Uh, 40 million people annually uh, get bogged down and stuck with stress. And I could stand up here and just give you all the stats and tell you how stress that you carry in your mind translates out into your body and so forth. But we all know this, yes? Yes, you know, I'm, I'm already getting very dangerously close to something that some of you work very hard to keep in a contained place in your life. Uh, but this morning, as we look at the idea of, of what God's remedy is for anxiety, I think it's going to be important for us to at least go there for a little bit. And so what I want you to do is, regardless of your age here today, I'd like for you to just think of a time, I want you to go back in history, maybe you don't have to go very far at all, when anxiety was just 
real in your life. You know, when you were carrying a burden of stress, there was something that had spiked that. And it was just very, very, very familiar for days and days. Some of you in a crowd this size, I would venture to say, probably grew up in a home that wasn't safe. Maybe it was very volatile. Maybe there was a lot of, of arguing, a lot of fighting. And you knew at a very early age what it meant to be stressed out and to have anxiety. Maybe some of you did okay in childhood, but when you got into adolescence, there were things there that sort of onset on your life, things that maybe you didn't invite or maybe it was consequences of decisions you were making, but, but for the first time in your life, you felt that anxiety, a way that it just sort of grabs us by the heart and works its way up to the throat, right? Or maybe, maybe your, your time of anxiety that you're remembering was, was coming out of adolescence and you step into that crazy time of, of young adulthood where you're trying to figure out, okay, uh, what's going to be my job or what career am I going to chase? Or maybe you were expanding your responsibilities, getting uh, married or, or starting a family or so forth, and you knew at that point that there were certain things that were out of your control and you experienced anxiety. You know, for those of us here who are middle-aged, you know, there's this phenomenon that happens, you know, you call this midlife crisis or whatever, but there comes a point in time where you sort of stop and you take an assessment, you look around and go, is this where I wanted to be at this age, right? How did I get here and where am I going? And those are the type of gut check moments that can really, really spike anxiety. Or if you're a little further along, even as a senior, you know, and you're you're, you're thinking now that after all this life worth of living, you've got all this accumulated wisdom, yet at times you still don't have the answers for new challenges that are facing you and that you see on the horizon. You know, anxiety is something that I think all of mankind has faced throughout history, but I think we have a special uh, talent for it here in the United States in the 21st century. And the good news is, God has a lot to say about anxiety. God has a lot to say about the stressors in our life. And the way that God chooses to address anxiety is by faith. Uh, God's cure for anxiety really is by the practice of biblical faith in our lives. And one of the most clearest places that that is showcased in the Scripture is found here in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you, know, if you know anything about the Bible at all, you know that this is the onset. It's the first few verses of what we call uh, the Faith Hall of Fame in the Bible. So uh, after the first few verses here, what begins to happen is this story is unpacked of these bigger-than-life characters in the Bible who lived through less-than-ideal circumstances that should have crushed them, but it didn't. And their faith sustained them in marvelous ways. And, and they became people who were characterized by being victors rather than victims. And their testimony as they endured through the end and as the peace of God ultimately reigned in their life was a story of faith. Now, um, part of the work that we do with Generation Freedom is we're involved in the, in the recovery effort for human trafficking victims. 
And so we work, uh, especially with minors, the average age of a, of a person that's trafficked in the United States today is a 13-year-old uh, a girl. And uh, in case you don't know it, the domestic minor sex trade industry is horrendous. It's a real problem in our culture. And so we'll, we're able to work with uh, different law enforcement and legislative uh, powers that are in existence, and we try to team up with them to have a faith-based voice in all of that. But here's what I've recognized. Here's what we've learned in that process. When you go in and there's a sting and you, and you bust up a prostitution ring and, and here there are minors in there that have been trafficked, they've been enslaved, and you pull them out and you rescue them and you begin to put them in a safe place now to where they're not under bondage anymore, they're free. Here's what I'll tell you. People who have been in bondage do not instinctively know how to live as free people. Because the things that they've had to do to survive under that time of harassment, of oppression, of bondage, those surviving coping mechanisms now as they are free undermine every bit of quality and potential that they could possibly have in their life. They've got to learn how to live as free people. And here's what I would say about us as Christians. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Scripture tells you that you are no longer a slave. Once upon a time, we were slaves to the cruel taskmaster of sin. And as we've become liberated now in Christ, we are set in a new position. Our identity is in Christ. And now we have this unbelievable potential to walk forward, to move forward, to thrive. But instead of thriving, our mindset oftentimes is still in just the surviving and we bring along tendencies with us of the way that we practice life, the way we see life, the way we try to navigate life that is anything but victorious. Instead, it's we're still living the role of a victim. And faith, biblical faith, is something that God illustrates from cover to cover in his book so that we might recognize it, understand it, and enact it in our life. Because the beauty of faith, biblical faith, is this, and catch this. Anytime you or I work by faith, anytime we engage in life by faith, even if it's just the tiniest bit of faith, like the size of a mustard seed, the guarantee from the scripture is it will always ignite God's grace. Biblical faith always ignites God's grace in your life. Now, so what's the grace of God? If you've been around church any certain time at all, then you've heard all about grace, right? The church that I grew up in, uh, they taught us this, uh, this acronym, right? Uh, G-R-A-C-E. And so this is how they would teach us as kids. Uh, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. You ever heard that? Right? So with the idea of grace is that it's, it's God's favor, that he just extends to us. There's nothing that we do to deserve it, but he extends his favor. And as I've gotten older, and as I've, I've tried you know, to follow the Lord, and as I've seen God demonstrate faith and showcase faith in the scriptures that, that unleashes his grace, here's what I will tell you. That definition that I've learned about grace when I was younger is true, but there's more to it. Because grace, the grace of God, is not just his favor in your life. It's not just his protection and provision and his blessing in your life. But catch this, it's his empowerment to be transformed as well. The grace of God is more than just 
God saying, I can forgive you of your sin. I can release you from that. It's more than just God saying, I can cleanse you from the sin that you're guilty of. But the grace of God actually now transforms us into new people. The lie of religion is that Christianity is around because God makes bad people good. That's a lie. The truth of the gospel is that God takes dead people and makes them alive. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 could say, hey, when you come to Christ, something miraculous happens. The old goes away and the new comes. Your, your old nature is forever severed from you and now you have a new identity in Christ. Where God says, hey, I made him who knew no sin to become sin so that through him you might be imparted this righteousness in Christ. It's incredible, right? But we have to understand that the point of beginning to the grace of God starts with faith. Ephesians 2, 6 and 8 says, by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith. And so here is the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Starting with verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their accommodation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Uh, God has the power to bring things into existence out of nothing. Uh, God did not start with some form of substance and then somehow translate that into a new creative material. He started with nothing and he spoke and something happened. In verse 6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those. Who seek him. Now, I want you to check me on this, right? So, I ask you to go back to a time, maybe it's even currently right now, to where you experienced stress, man. There was a heavy load that was there. Your anxiety was spiking. Uh, most of the time, the overwhelming amount of time when we experience anxiety, it is directly or indirectly tied to uncertainty in our lives. Uh, by far and away, the, the number of clients that I see, the majority of them are all struggling on one level or another with anxiety. Now, when you're susceptible to anxiety, it leaves the back door open for like a ton of stuff, right? Especially depression, and there's all kinds of symptoms that just sort of rush in that back door when we're experiencing anxiety. But you, you check me on this. During those times when we're just, we're sort of overwhelmed with the situation and the circumstances that we're, we're living in, the natural thing that we start to do is we try to figure out how do I change my circumstances? How do I get out of this? And so we start problem solving. We start in our minds imagining what needs to change for life to get better for me. And then we begin to strategize and we begin to try to think if only this could happen or if that could happen or if this person could bail me out or if I could just achieve this or get that, then life would be better. But bound to that plan is just a whole bunch of uncertainties that are outside of our control, yes? And when you have uncertainty in your life, I promise you, it will trigger anxiety because we look for assurance 
of things that are right and good in order for us to finally be at ease or to be at peace. And what the scripture is telling us here is we've got to learn, first of all, to, to look beyond our own capacity to bail ourselves out if we're ever going to find certainty. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So I want you to think about that one for a second. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I would just suggest to you this morning that as far as faith being an anxiety cure that God gives us because it's got this power to ignite grace in your life, the first thing you and I need to understand about biblical faith is it's nonsense. It is nonsense. Here's what I mean by that. You can't use your five senses to collect data, to assimilate that in your brain, and to rationally process that through in order to come up with a solution that's going to be guaranteed. The world that we live in, limited by time and space, and our five senses that we use to sort of figure out what's going on around us, does not translate into the spiritual truth that God wants us to walk in. You know, we grow up in a, in a culture and in an education system that teaches us the exact opposite of what God is challenging us to walk in. So I have an engineering degree. My undergrad's in engineering. And, and here's how they would teach us. Here's how they taught us uh, to do problem solving as an engineer. You go out. You collect as much data as you can. You assimilate that data. You get it in order. You analyze that data. You test that data. And then based on that testing, you build an understanding. And then from that point forward, you choose to, uh, to embrace a solution that will yield the best result. And that's not something that's unique to engineers. From a very young age, we step into some sort of educational environment that teaches us to get as much information as we can, try to understand that, best, that information as best as we can, and then based on our understanding, come up with a plan and work with it, right? But God is saying, rather than trying to understand first so that then you might be able to believe... I'm giving you the truth in my special word. Believe it so that over time you may understand. And that's sort of mind-blowing. The world says seeing is believing, and God says believing is seeing. One of the greatest, I love this snapshot from Jesus' life in John chapter 6. So um, by John chapter 5, Jesus has sort of hit like rock star status at this time, right? Right? I mean, he's got, if, he, if, he'd have been, if he'd have been on social media, he'd had millions of followers at this point, right? And uh, he's just fed like thousands of people from like this kid's Lunchables. And, and so people are just like tracking him now wherever he goes. And when you step into John chapter 6, Jesus sort of shifts, shifts gears. And the things he starts saying are just like making everybody really uncomfortable. Because he's reaching for this, for this, this metaphor to sort of describe the, his life being sacrificial and the idea of faith and embracing it. And he's talking about this tough, tough stuff like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's just like creeping everybody out. 
And if you look at it in John chapter 6, kid you not, verse 66, so 666, at that moment, the majority of the crowd just says, I'm out. You know, they just, they just start walking away. Hundreds and thousands maybe at a time. And it's one of these very sobering moments for Jesus and the disciples. And, and he sort of, you know, turns around and looks at them and, and says, what about you guys? You guys out? And in a rare moment of brilliance, Peter speaks up. And in verse 69, he says, well, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the keys, and catch this, and we have believed and have come to understand that you are the Christ. You see, the, the, the way that biblical faith works for us, folks, is that we humble ourselves enough to recognize that we, we don't have what it takes to figure out things that are beyond our control. And so, therefore, we, we look to God to believe and trust in what he says is true so that over time we might walk in an understanding of a life that has peace rather than anxiety. So faith is, biblical faith is really nonsense. The second thing I, I would tell you based on this passage here is that the reward of your faith, it says here in verse 6 that God rewards those who seek him. The reward of your faith, the reward of my faith, depends on the faith object, right? Now, it's interesting because Christians, we're not the only ones who operate by faith. Everybody operates by faith, Christian, non-Christian. If you're here this morning, you're an atheist, right? It's like you operate by faith because if, like if you drove a car to get here, as you leave, you're going to navigate an intersection where there's a, there's a, there's a light. And if you've got a green light by faith, you're believing that the other people going the other direction have a red light, right? And we're all playing by the same, by the same rules here. When I got up this morning and, and I had my, my bowl of cereal, uh, I put my faith in the FDA that, when I, that they screened that milk you know, before I poured it on there and it was safe you know, for me to eat it. We all operate by faith day in and day out. Sometimes our faith objects fail us. That's why the scripture is so Ad, is so adamant about saying, making sure, make sure that your ultimate faith object is secure. And in Hebrews 13, 8, it says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. His, his track record is trustworthy as you see it in the scriptures. He has his eye on your situation and is fully aware and willing willing to deliver you, to walk you through. He's got a plan for your life tomorrow. He is unchanging. But if you think about it, the natural tendency is to sort of use him as our backup plan, right? When we get in tough situations. And instinctively, we want to work in reverse order. So we try to figure out what do we need to do to get ourselves out of this situation. And I will tell you, if you've not been there yet, you're going to encounter a struggle in your life that you're not going to have enough cash to get out of. You're not going to have enough friends in the right places to bail you out of. And you're not going to have the mental wherewithal to scheme your way out of it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I would just suggest to you that biblical faith means making sure that Jesus Christ is your ultimate faith object. 
Third thing I would tell you about faith is that faith, whether or not it's rewarded in your life, also depends upon how accurate of a perspective that you have of your faith object. Okay, so I, I, I sit and I talk and I speak and I counsel with a lot of people who will tell me straight up that they have put their faith 100% in Jesus Christ. But somehow along the way, he has failed them, right? So they're a little jaded. They're a little skeptical. And when you begin to talk to them, you realize that part of what they've done is, yes, they've made Jesus their faith object, but they've put an unrealistic expectation on him at some point. They've expected him to do something that is contrary to God's nature. And it's really, really bound up, you know, the process of, of their deliverance and well-being because they are not interpreting what is going on through the lens of who Jesus Christ actually is and God's identity and forming real expectations with that. So, um, and you guys Star Wars fans? I wouldn't admit it either. But... Um, <laughs> But my, I've got my oldest daughter, so she's getting ready to graduate, and she's just like, she, she revels in her nerdiness, right? And she loves Star Wars, and when I was, I'm not going to tell you how old I was, but I was there when the first Star Wars rolled out and uh, saw it at Skyline Cinema. How many of you guys know the Skyline Drive-In? Yeah, all right. So um, my, I've got, there was five kids in our family. I'm the oldest and the next youngest is a brother. And we were like really close, good friends growing up. So, so when we, you know, when we saw the first Star Wars, right, which is really episode four as we know it now, uh, we were just like, whoa, you know, just blown away. And I remember uh, this time my family was traveling and, uh, and we, were, we were on this trip. We'd gotten rained out. Everybody was bummed. And, uh, and so my dad, in order to salvage the experience, right, uh, he pulls in. We were in Ohio because that's where all West Virginians used to vacation before Myrtle Beach. Um, so, so we were in Ohio. And, uh, and he, he pulls in as like this mall, right? And there was, there was the Meadowbrook Mall was non-existent back in the day, right? And, uh, and so you see this mall, and beside the mall was this enormous store. It was called KB Toys, right? And I'd never, I thought, that's a toy store. Are you kidding me? And so, uh, so we all unloaded, and my dad's like, go in, and let's just get, somebody gets, you know, every, every kid get, gets, gets something, right? So we go in, and uh, so my brother and I, we're like going crazy. And, uh, and all of a sudden, we were just stopped dead in our trap. This row from the front of that store to the back of that row, both sides, was nothing but Star Wars <laughs> toys and stuff, right? And so we're, we're going down the aisle and we're looking, you know, for what we might get. And there, midways, man, we found it. We knew our destiny. We knew God had providentially delivered us to that moment because there were official Jedi lightsabers, right? Which back in the 70s was like a plastic flashlight with a tube about that long right, that took D batteries, right? And we were like, yes, this is it, right? You know? So my dad, he was, he was feeling so generous that day. He not only bought us the lightsabers, but even got us batteries, right? And uh, so we rode home, and my brother and I, you know, in the back of the station wagon facing the wrong way with no seat belts, you know, all, all those type of stuff, um, we were making these big plans, right, for our Jedi adventures. And we get home, and we unload, and we turn into our, we, we put on our official Jedi garb, which was our, you know, our, our house robes. And, uh, 
And we told mom goodbye, and we'll see you a few light years. And we went down into the basement. They had this unfinished basement, and my brother got on one end of the basement. I got on the other, and we flipped off the lights, and we turned on those lightsabers, and we jumped into what we thought would be this epic Jedi battle that lasted about 10 seconds because you guys ever end, get to the end of, like, Christmas wrapping paper, and you got that tube, and you whack somebody once, you know, the tube, it just sort of, that's what the lightsabers ended up looking like, Right? And we were just like so bummed because it's like, oh my goodness, it's a brand new toy and it's like it's broken. What? Well, we had unrealistic expectations on those toys. They weren't built, you know, to do that, right? So we walk away disappointed from that when really the error was on us. And, and, and I'm not trying to keep any shame or guilt or anything, but I would just suggest to you that if your story is anything like mine, when I look back and I think, here's where God failed me, actually what happened was I had an unrealistic expectation of what God's process of working us through greater depths of spirituality, not by bubble wrapping us, but by holding our hand and making sure that the circumstances we face do not destroy us. There may be some of you here this morning who are like, you don't understand the pain that I have gone through and the hurt and the trauma, and I cannot understand where God was in that. I would just suggest to you that maybe God was keeping you alive because today is the day that he has divinely appointed for you to hear that he is real and safe and trustworthy and he can carry the load that you carry, and he can heal the wounds that you have. And it's not just about, okay, I believe in Jesus, but it's about how much do you know about Jesus? Are you a student of the Word of God? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. So are you intentionally putting yourself before biblical teaching? Consistently, do you dig into God's Word on your own? Are you allowing the Word of God to dwell richly within you and to produce the faith that's going to ignite God's grace in your life, His favor, His, His empowerment? The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2.6, Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, catch this, so walk in Him. That's why the journey of our spirituality is meant, to be, is meant to be a journey by what? Faith and not by sight. You guys know it. The last point that I would give you this morning about faith is this. Ultimately, faith is an action word. Faith is an action word. You see, God wants to take what you are learning up here and connect it to here. And the way that he does that is through experience. It's putting you into a place where you can learn firsthand that he is who he says he is. Uh, James 1.22 says, don't just be hearers of the word only, but be what? Doers, right? Be doers. At some point, God will allow the circumstances in your life to be at a point where it's out of your control so that he might prove to you that his grace that's ignited by your faith is sufficient. So um, 
Years ago, my wife and I, after we were first married, we lived, uh, we lived over in Nutter Fort, Ohio Avenue, rented a, a little house over there. And, uh, and we, uh, we didn't have kids at the time, but we, uh, we spent a lot of those early years uh, helping raise uh, a niece and a nephew that uh, didn't have a good home environment at that time. And so, uh, so they were as much as our family as, as uh, you know, just a normal part of our family. And I was working as an engineer, and so uh, I'd been out I don't know how many hours that day, and I came home, and my wife was there, and, and the two little ones were there, and, and she almost had dinner ready, which was awesome. And, uh, and so I come in the door, and she says, hey, uh, I've almost got this all together, but I forgot to get some bread today. If you want, uh, just, you know, you can run back out to the store, and by the time you get back, you know, we'll, we'll have this ready to go, you know. And being a good Christian, you know, husband, I said, no. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I don't need bread, but if that's something you want to go with this meal, I will watch the stove and I'll watch these, these kids and just make sure that it's all ready for you. Are you sure? I said, yeah, how hard could it be? Right. And, uh, so she goes, okay. So she gets, you know, leaves, got the back door, gets in the car. She no sooner pulled out of that driveway when those two little ankle biters, I mean, they just went, they went crazy. I mean, they were just, I got, you know, there's, there's, there's pans full of hot stuff on the stove that I'm supposed to be watching that's, you know, to keep it from burning. And they're, they're under my feet, they're under a the table, they're ripping and running, they're playing and everything. And I could not get them to settle down. And so I did, I did the only thing I could think of. My, my landlord had this enormous, this ginormous industrial-sized refrigerator in our kitchen. I don't know why he had that in there. But, uh, but I, I just, I grabbed those two little turds. I'm sorry. I grabbed those two little, <laughs> two little kids, and I just, I just grabbed them and just, whoop, just put them right up on top of the refrigerator, right? And they were like, whoa, you know? Um, but it seemed to work. Because they sort of enjoyed being up there, and they were out of the way, and it allowed me to manage the stove, and it seemed like a great idea until I heard my wife pulling back in. And I'm thinking, this is not going to fly, right? You know, so, so I, turn, I thought, all right, I got to get them down, right? So I turn around, and, uh, and my niece, uh, she's the oldest, and so, uh, you know, I looked at her, and I said, okay, Alex. Time to get down, dinner time. Jump to Uncle Chris, you know, and so I'm there, and... Uh, she just bailed, you know, and so I caught her and, and got her down, and then, uh, and then her younger brother was up there. I said, okay, Mark, time to get down. Jumped Uncle Chris. No. <laughs> and I can't reach him. It's too big of a refrigerator, and I'm trying. You know, I can see my wife. She's coming. I'm going, I'm dead, and I'm trying to get him, and, and he would not jump off of that refrigerator to me. Which one of those two kids demonstrated faith? My niece, right? Why do you say that? Because when it came down to it, she trusted, right? You will never know God as Jehovah Rapha until you come to a place in your pain where you'll trust him with your healing. You will never know God as Jehovah Nisi, your banner, until you venture into a place where you need his protective covering. You will never know God as your righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu, until you come to a place to where you recognize that it's not of your works that you can save yourself or cleanse yourself or be released from guilt. You see, God wants to ignite grace in your life. God wants to release you from anxiety and stress 
But the way that that happens is we step by step learn to live counterintuitively than the way that comes natural to us. And we learn to first believe. We learn to make Jesus the center. We commit ourselves to expanding an accurate perspective of who he is. And then in that moment of crisis, you and I have a choice. And I pray that we jump. <laughs>